We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to the Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Suter and this episode is your cut out and keep or download and keep guide to buying a house. Joining me is Danny Hewson. Yes, Laura, we've got a couple of brilliant women joining us to talk through the ins and outs of every stage of either getting on or stepping up the house buying ladder. We've got tips to position yourself as the perfect buyer, the lowdown on all those tricky terms and how much everything's going to cost. And while this is aimed at first-time buyers, actually a lot of the information is going to be relevant to those people who might be thinking about making that next move. If you're anything like me, you've forgotten that entire house buying and mortgage getting process um, since you last moved. But also we've got some updates on what interest rate rises might mean for you and changes to affordability criteria on mortgages and how that might impact you. Is it like childbirth, Laura, you forget because it was such an experience? I think actually it's that's quite the dilemma. What was worse, the whole process of moving house, which for us was just so drawn out, or childbirth? I Yeah, I, I don't think I could actually pick. <laughs> well, I know some people that actually moved literally as they were about to give birth or just after, and uh, I don't understand that at all. Um, now, this episode is not about getting your finances in the right place to buy. If that's you and you haven't yet listened to our last pod, which was all about saving for a deposit, where have you been? Do check it out wherever you listen to your podcasts. So let's start on that house buying journey. It's daunting and it's exciting and it's also quite baffling with a lot of jargon, a lot of things that you need to learn about for the first time. Um, I know that when I came to buy my first home, it involved a lot of research around all the different terms, what different things meant, how you actually went about that process and the order that you had to go in. Um, and I think it can feel quite overwhelming, particularly if people don't have kind of parents or family around them to help guide them through that process. It doesn't surprise me that you did all your research. I'm afraid I was a bit of a wing it kind of girl, just, oh, well, it'll all happen. And it did. Um, I was lucky because at the time we were able to get a 100% mortgage, which really helped. And I was buying in Huddersfield and house prices, even now, are still much lower than where you are in London. Um, but the housing market has changed, um, even here in Huddersfield, because people have been moving. And since lockdown ended, um, they've really been red hot and people have been rethinking the kind of things that they want from a house, where they want to live, what they need from their home. You know, home offices and outdoor space really became important for a lot of people. Um, other people I've spoken to moved because they wanted to be closer to, to family and friends and they were able to you know, work from home for a significant part of their working week. And there was also, of course, the stamp duty holiday, which definitely added fuel to the fire. And then, you know, lockdowns also meant that people weren't going on holiday they weren't going anywhere really, and they were able to save much more than they had expected to. And that did mean that lots more people, particularly first-time buyers, suddenly found that they did have a deposit together much more quickly than they thought they might. 
And But the other challenge for those first-time buyers has been kind of keeping up with those rampant house prices. And I think a lot of people trying to get on the ladder for the first time felt like they were saving enough money, but then house prices were leaping up ahead of, of what they could save. But there are definitely signs of that housing market cooling. So the latest figures that we had from Rightmove showed that the average asking price had dropped by £5,000. Now, it's still at a slightly eye-watering £365,000 across the UK, but obviously that will vary dramatically region by region. But I think what we're starting to maybe see some early signs of is that market cooling and following some of the normal kind of seasonal patterns that we usually see in the housing market, but that we haven't seen for the past few years. And one of the drivers for the housing market maybe slowing or cooling a little bit is Bank of England interest rate rises. So that's pushing up mortgage rates, which obviously have record low mortgage rates have fueled the housing boom because people could borrow so cheaply and get on that housing ladder. And because inflation is sticking around longer than expected, it's expected that there's more interest rate rises on the horizon. But we've been chatting to Gemma Bennett, who's a mortgage broker at Mortgage Mum, about all things mortgages, breaking down a lot of that jargon, but also how those interest rate rises might impact affordability. But before that, I've been talking to Emma Kingham from the estate agent Knight Frank. She is head of sales in Harrogate. She's got some great tips about choosing your perfect property, putting yourself in the best position to buy, and why it's important to act fast if you don't want to be disappointed. Emma, thanks so much for joining us. Um, a lot of people listening to this podcast today will be embarking upon buying a house for the very first time, you know, going and looking around for the very first time. What advice can you give a first-time buyer? What are you always surprised that they don't know? So a lot of first-time buyers think that the house is just the price that it's listed at, um, and it's as easy as that. But actually, the advice we'd give is think about some of those associated costs Think about the stamp duty and the solicitors and the mortgage advisors, because all of those things add up. And once you've budgeted for them, you can then really think about your budget for the house and make sure you get it spot on. But we'd say to a lot of the first time buyers that register with Knight Frank, just be super open minded. Make sure that you're not looking at ticking all 10 out of 10 boxes. If a house that you've fallen in love with ticks seven or eight of those, you can fix the other couple and make sure that you are thinking what's truly right for you, lifestyle-wise as well. So houses can blow you away, but if they're a million miles from work and your friends, it might not work. So those costs, I guess, add up, do they? Those The costs that you've spoken about, you know, stamp duty, solicitor's fees? They do. Um, and a lot of the time, um, you know, people don't think about it because it's not there to really think about. But when you break them down, now the stamp duty holiday's over, they can be quite big costs. Um, it can add up really between um, mortgage advisors, solicitors, stamp duty, anywhere to about £10,000 or more if you're a first-time buyer. And so taking that £10,000 out of a budget that you've saved really hard for to buy a house, you have to factor in. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a shock halfway down the line. And do people need to get all of those things in order, things like a mortgage? Should they have that in place? Do you require that before you show people around houses, for example? 
Yeah, so they should definitely get it in place. We don't require it because we will help people. So if they want to do something with us and they've saved and they need to do that next step, we'll help them with our finance. Um, and we'll make sure someone gets in touch. But it is so much better if they can speak to a mortgage advisor first, understand the process, understand what they can truly borrow. They go interviewing houses, they're really knowledgeable and making sure that they're looking at the correct budget. So if I was doing it, I'd definitely do that bit first. And I guess if they've got things in place, that means that they're in a better position when they want to put in an offer, particularly because it's still super competitive. Oh, absolutely. It means that when they put in an offer and we say, how quickly can you show us your proof of funding? They can waive that mortgage and principal at us. And it's nice for us to be really confident to our sellers that they've got everything they need and they're more likely to get their offer accepted that way. And how quickly are these things happening? Because particularly with a first time buyer, you, you might be a bit nervous, you want to take your time, but people sometimes just don't have time. They need to act quickly. Yeah, there's there's not much time to be had at the moment, or at least there hasn't been for the last 18 months. Uh, first time buyer properties tend to have at least 10 viewings or more on them. So it means that when we're hosting those days of viewings and offers are coming in, really quick decisions are being made. And therefore, if a first time buyer has all those things in order, they can make the decisions quicker. So we are telling people, don't hang about. Don't think you've got weeks to think about it. I know it's stressful and ask us anything you need, but decisions need to be made within a couple of days, really. And is that still the case? Because we've heard stories nationally about the housing market cooling. Obviously, we've seen interest rates rise. So is the market still hot? It's very hot here in Yorkshire. Um, it's very resilient around Harrogate um, and, and the Yorkshire market. But yes, it has slowed down. So at the start of this year, we couldn't get things on quick enough before they were selling. And we are seeing now a slightly lower volume of buyers to each house. But it's still a really buoyant market. Lots of people moving back to Harrogate in Yorkshire. And therefore, a lot of people from out of area are keeping it really busy and buoyant. Um, so it's great. But yes, it's tapering off slightly. Has what people look for in the house changed post-COVID? What are the things now that people are, are saying that they, they can't do without? Definitely. So a lot of people post-COVID want to be closer to family and friends. They want to make sure that they've got outside space. You know, in case of another lockdown, nobody wants to be cooped up without outside space. That's really important. And houses that need work doing with bigger plots becoming more popular. Um, a lot of people need home offices. They're working from home three or four days a week. And so Wi-Fi speed and internet speed is hot topic. We've started listing it to make sure people know exactly what they're working with, particularly in the villages. Um, so a lot of things have changed. We've also found not just um, workers, but the older generation are wanting to make sure that their next move is moving closer to amenities. So that if something happens again, they're closer to local shops and transport links and they can walk in um, so it's uh, it's quite a big shift, really. And are people factoring in energy bills now as well in terms of, you know, the decision making of what size house that they buy, but also whether or not they can buy right now? Definitely. I think it's on everybody's mind, isn't it, at the moment? But we are seeing people that are upsizing in particular are really having to think it through with the energy costs, because it's not just as easy as it used to be. You upsize from a three bed to a four or five. It's such a jump in those costs and the interest rates on the mortgage that the whole thing becomes an awful lot more. Um, so, yes, it's uh, 
a big factor. And I would imagine shortly there'll probably be more downsizers than there will upsizers to allow for that. You work with an awful lot of buyers and sellers. Just in terms of, of buyers, particularly those first time buyers, what do you think are the biggest do's and don'ts for you? Um, for a first time buyer, definite do's are make sure you register with all the agents, make sure you're looking on social media as well, because a lot of the agents will put pre-release houses on first before they hit online. Um, make sure that you've got all those finances in place. Um, be really friendly with the agents and make yourself known and people won't forget to call you and tell you about hot new houses. Um, things that I definitely don't do is don't just think everything will come on right move and hope for the best. You've got to talk to people, build those relationships because sometimes we sell a house on the street next door but one wants to sell and we think rather than put that online, we'll go back to all the buyers that missed out on that house next door but one and we'll let them know about it quickly. And so it's really important to make sure you register with the agent. And, you know, it's it's definitely been a seller's market recently. Yeah. You know, there still don't seem to be enough houses out there to meet the needs of the buyers. I guess if there are, things are cooling, that may change. But what, what are the biggest do's and don'ts for sellers as well? So for sellers, we always say make sure your house is in the order you want everybody to see it. So aesthetically, a lot of people decide to declutter and they make it look fantastic. They fix those jobs that they've not fixed for five, 10 years to make sure it looks perfect. But as well as that, more important than anything is making sure you've got all your paperwork. So we've sold some amazing houses recently, but if you don't have the correct paperwork, the extension you've had or a garage conversion you've had, it's going to come back to bite you. So if all of that's lined up with a solicitor, by the time you go to the market, you know you're going to have a success and it's not going to be a headache. What we are saying to a lot of our sellers at the moment, more so than ever, is think about that onward move. Because the market's really hot, if you get a buyer quickly, we need to know, are you thinking of going into rented? Um, are you thinking of moving on? Or have you found something already? Because some people will go into rented now to make their chain free up, and then they can be a hot buyer on the next thing they want to buy. And is that really important, that ability to move quickly? It is. We find a lot of buyers will ask us as well. You know, they've been selling rented for months and they're fed up with themselves. They keep missing houses. And so if they're going to offer on something, they want to know how much longer they're going to be sat there waiting. And if we say, actually, our owner's moving into rented or they're moving in with their daughter, something that allows them to be chain free, a buyer is more likely to give you a really good offer and be much quicker and motivated. And I suppose just finally, what do you think is going to happen over the next six to 12 months? If people are thinking about high prices, hoping they might come down, should they wait or not? Oh, it's a million dollar question, isn't it? It really is. Um, over the next six months, I would imagine that supply and demand will really balance out because we've seen for the best part of two years now that there have been very few houses and massive demand. Whereas because of the interest rates, um, because of the cost of living crisis, I think we'll see a lot more people putting the houses on the market, maybe to free up the money, look at downsizing. But actually, there might not be as many buyers. You know, a lot of people are going to do work to their own house rather than spend the money on moving or worry about higher bills. So I think it will slow down. We are so resilient in this lovely golden triangle bubble in Harrogate of Yorkshire that hopefully it won't, um, it won't dip too much. But um, I would imagine that it, it, it can't continue as it has. So it will be slightly tougher, but it means us agents have to work even harder.
Emma, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Lovely. Bye. Emma Kingham from the estate agent Knight Frank. And Emma had some really good tips for first-time buyers because it is quite a complicated and daunting process. It most certainly is. And one of the costs which uh, Emma flagged up those hidden costs that you know I don't think anybody really expects if you've never bought a house before and that is stamp duty and I think that is worth flagging up and just going through some of the numbers now these numbers that we're going through now are if you've only got one home if you're buying a second home things are different so do check and also this is if you are buying a house in England or Northern Ireland again it's slightly different if you are buying in Scotland and Wales but again your solicitor will be able to help you through this now if you're buying a house under £125,000 you won't have to pay any stamp duty happy days if you can find a house under £125,000 and there's a few and far between now um, between 125 and 250,000 pounds, you'll pay about two percent. Between 250 and 925,000 pounds, the average asking price at the moment is right in there. You'll be paying five percent, and then above that, I probably don't need to go in that. Particularly if you're a first-time buyer, between 10 and 12 percent. So that means that if you paid that typical asking price that I talked about earlier of 360. £5,000, you'd have to pay just over £3,250 in stamp duty. And crucially, you have to pay that within 14 days of completing on the property. The deadline used to be a bit longer, but now it means you need to have that money available straight away. But some good news for first-time buyers is that they pay a reduced stamp duty rate. So you pay no stamp duty on properties value up to £300,000. And then between £300,000 and £500,000, you will pay 5%. If you buy a property over half a million pounds, then you wouldn't be eligible for that discount. I mean, it's such a huge amount of cash to find. And all of this is happening when emotions are really running high, because when you're buying a house, you know, you're buying a home. And if things go wrong, it can really feel overwhelming. But forearmed, definitely the way to go. So hopefully Emma has helped you get into a really good place in terms of buying. But in terms of a mortgage uh, or getting an agreement in principle that uh, Emma was talking about there, that is a whole other ballgame. Yes, mortgages is such a minefield to deal with. It's complicated for anyone, but particularly for first-time buyers who have never had to do anything in that market before. Um, They've never had to buy that product. And there is also so much jargon in that industry. So we've drafted in an expert to demystify that jargon and hopefully answer all of the questions that you might have about mortgages. So joining us to do that is Gemma Bennett, who is a broker at Mortgage Mum. So Gemma, let's start with the type of mortgage. Can you explain what repayment is versus interest only? Yes. So a mortgage has two elements to it. That's the amount you borrow, which is the capital and the interest that the lender charges for you, for, the, for that borrowing. So a repayment mortgage is where you're paying off instalments of the capital and the interest each month. So by the end of the mortgage, the whole thing is paid off. Uh, an interest only mortgage is where you are just paying for the interest only element um, each month and the capital remains the same. So at the end of the mortgage, you'd still have to pay the capital loan back in a lump sum somehow. So perhaps that would be via an investment that's built up or through the sale of the property. Okay. And so then I think the only other 
type of mortgage that people might have heard of is an offset mortgage. What does that mean? Okay, so an offset mortgage is where the mortgage is linked to an offset savings account and the lender uses the amount in the savings to offset the interest that you pay on the mortgage loan, which sounds really confusing even when I've said it like that. So it can be a bit confusing. So here's an example. If you have a £200,000 mortgage and £25,000 in savings, you wouldn't pay interest on the whole £200,000 mortgage instead you'd pay interest on 175,000 pounds of that mortgage because the remaining 25,000 is in an offset savings pot okay and so let's come to rates because obviously that's the big thing with mortgages um how much interest you're going to actually pay so can you explain what variable rate is versus fixed rate sure a variable rate is set by the lender and it varies, hence the name. So that means it can go up or down throughout the life of the mortgage, and as a result, your monthly payments change. A fixed rate mortgage means that the rate quoted when you apply is fixed for a certain time, and that's usually two or five years, they're the most common ones. This means that your mortgage payments are the same each month for that time. You'll benefit from zero increases in payments over that fixed period, but you won't benefit from any reductions in interest in that fixed period. However, many people like the fixed rate options as they are easier to budget for each month because you know your payments will be the same, there'll be no fluctuations. Um, so that remain the most popular choices, um, particularly with first time buyers. And then where does a tracker fit into that? That's a type of variable rate, isn't it? That's right. A tracker varies the same as a variable rate does, but rather than being set by the lender as such, it actually follows the Bank of England's base rate plus whatever the lender has added. So, for example, the tracker might be 1% over the base rate. So if the base rate was 0.5%, which we have seen, the tracker is then 1.5%. If the base rate is 1.75%, which it is today, the tracker in this example would be 2.75%. So a tracker, again, means your monthly payments can go up or down. Okay, perfect. Now, if we think of some of the things that first-time buyers might be asked for when they're going about house hunting and getting a mortgage, they might be asked by an estate agent for an agreement in principle before they've even yeah. put in an offer on a house. What does that mean? So a decision in principle or an agreement in principle, they are the same thing, uh, is very important to get before you make an offer on a property or even before you start your search. Uh, before you start your search so that you can be certain of what uh, the level of borrowing you can actually um, get because sometimes you think you can get to a certain level and you might find that it's less than that or it's more than that. Um, estate agents like to see it because it makes them feel that your offer has some weight behind it and has actually been verified. So a decision in principle is not a mortgage offer from the lender, but it's an agreement that they have looked at your needs and circumstances. And in principle, subject to the property that you find and further underwriting of the documents, the case checks out for them and they're happy to lend. It's the most certain you can be prior to a full application. And once the offer is agreed on a property, that's when you'll move to full application and await an official offer decision. Okay, so it's kind of like a an agreement that you can borrow a certain amount of money, but it really depends on the property if you can actually borrow it. Yeah. 
it means they've looked at you and your circumstances and they're happy with that. But yes, it does depend on the property. And so then what about loan to value? We hear this term used a lot when it comes to mortgages and also when it comes to mortgage rates with different rates applying to different loan to value. So what does loan to value mean? Yeah, so the higher rates um, are put on the higher loan to values and lower rates are put on lower loan to values because it depends on the risk um, of the lender. But let me just explain loan to value a bit more. It describes the percentage of the property that is mortgaged compared to the part that isn't. Uh, the part that isn't we often refer to as equity, and that's the part that you own. So if you're putting in a 10% deposit, the loan to value is 90% because 90% of the property is mortgaged and 10% is owned by you. Um, what's actually interesting here is it can change over time as the property price increases and the mortgage capital is being paid off. So, for example, you might find that you started your mortgage life with a 90% loan to value. And then, for example, in five years, you've paid off some of that capital. And let's assume the property has actually increased in value. Um, you might then find that you now have an 80% loan to value, which means that the mortgage makes up 80% of the value and 20% of it is owned by you. And that is now your deposit. So a lot of that plays into how much you can save for a deposit versus how much you can afford in a mortgage. Obviously, if your mortgage amount is higher, it's going to cost you more each month, which kind of takes us neatly on to affordability, which is a phrase that's banded around a lot when you're applying for mortgages. What do people need to think about in terms of how much they can borrow, how much they can afford to pay back each month when it comes to picking their mortgage? So it's really important to do an honest budget plan to work out what you can actually afford to pay on your mortgage each month. There's things to consider like essential costs of living, such as food and energy, travel to work um, and committed expenditure like loans or credit cards. But it's also worth thinking about your lifestyle choices and what you need available for things like memberships or recreation activities or savings. Um, so once you know what's left after you've paid for those things, um, allowing some wiggle room for any insurances or rainy days, then you'll know what's the comfortable amount that you can spend on your mortgage. Um, and this will play a part in what you borrow, depending on the term, which I think we need to discuss as well, because that plays a very important role in, in your affordability monthly. Lenders have their own affordability checks and calculators, but because it's your life and your choice, you must ensure that you've done your own budget as well, um, because the last thing you want to do is not afford your mortgage over borrow um, very very stressful and affects your future if you ever defaulted on a mortgage payment so even if you had to borrow less and make it very much afford much more affordable it's a it's a more powerful place to be than getting yourself in a place where you've overstretched yourself and you're not managing to cope with the cost and i think that's a really important point because i think a lot of people when applying for a mortgage just think what's the maximum amount i can borrow and okay i'm going to put that together with the deposit i've got and go out and buy a place but you make a really good point there that people need to actually think about how much that's going to cost them each month and whether they can actually afford it um yeah. but you talked about term there so let's um let's delve into that so can you explain what a mortgage term is and how it can impact that affordability in your monthly costs yes so the term of a mortgage is the life of a mortgage um, and in most cases, it goes to retirement age. So there can be it can be further in certain circumstances, but we're going to sort of stick with that for now. The actual term of a mortgage would be how many years are left until from your age now until you retire. 
So say you're 30 now and you're planning to retire at 68, you can stretch your term to 38 years. The longer the term, the lower the monthly payments because the loan is stretched out. However, it is not always a great idea just to stretch it as far as you can for the sake of it. If you can afford to pay the monthly payments on a shorter term, you actually do save in the long run on interest. So we think it's important to find what I call a sweet spot regarding your monthly affordability, where the term is as short as possible while the monthly payments remain easily manageable for your budget. So there's lots of cross-checking to do it, to kind of really find that place where you think this is exactly what I can pay and, and I'm willing to pay on a mortgage whilst being able to live in a way that I want to live. So first time buyers at the moment, when they're coming to get their mortgage, there's been lots of news about interest rates rising in the news at the moment. Um, what do they need to think about and, and bear that in mind? Well, the good news for first time buyers is it's actually affecting them a lot less than it's affecting people that are remortgaging because they don't know any difference. So those people that have got been on uh, what we call um covid uh, rates where um things were very very low i'm really feeling the effects now that they've risen however first-time buyers um wouldn't know the difference really in their monthly affordability the, the, the main thing is behind the scenes there's been stress tests for a number of years where what um has been deemed affordable um, they've always been tested against another, th- uh, it going up by another 3%. And that is how lenders were able to assess affordability. That has very recently been taken away um, as a, as a, ha- uh, as an, um, as something that has to happen. Lenders are still choosing their own um, stress tests. Um, so it, it just affects how the lender feels about affordability and the, and the rates in that respect and future affordability. But, when it comes to what the first time buyer needs to think about is just making sure that there is enough um, wiggle room for rates to rise um, further if they if they do, which in all honesty, the lender and if you're working with a broker will be doing anyway um, as responsible lending. Okay. And now I remember when I got my first mortgage, there was so many different fees that I had to pay that I wasn't necessarily expecting um, kind of wrapped up in the mortgage. So what kind of fees can people expect to pay um, and, and what what are they for? Sure. So normally there is a product fee. Um, this can range, but an average is about 999, so nearly a £1,000. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's a little more. Um this is um, quite standard across the board and it's a, a fee for that for that mortgage. These can be added to the loan generally, uh, depending on the loan to value you're already at. So if you're looking for a 95% mortgage, you're not necessarily and you're already at that 95%, you're not going to be able to add the product fee. So you do need to be aware that you'll have to pay that up front. Um, if you do add it to the loan, it, it adds into the interest. So sometimes it, it is better to pay it up front. Um, the valuation fee. Now, many, many lenders offer a free valuation. And that valuation is for the lender's purpose. It's to check that the property is of the value that um, you said it is, or we said it is, and that they're willing to lend on it. So they tend to give that one for free. But there are some lenders that charge a small fee for that. Um, And then there's exit fees. So you start in your mortgage, but you've got to think about exiting it. <laughs> and that fee doesn't come into play until right at the end of that mortgage. So it could be 
many years in uh, when you finish that mortgage completely, or it might be when you remortgage, there is a admin exit fee. Okay. And then there's also an early repayment charge, isn't there? Um, probably not something that's massively on first time buyers horizon, but it's probably worth them being aware of it, isn't it? Really worth them being aware of it. An early repayment charge um, is a penalty charge for when you um, if you repaid the mortgage within the fixed rate period so if you opted for five years for example and then in three years you were thinking oh we want to move on now or want to uh, I'm buying another property actually there will be a penalty fee for that um, to do that and sometimes you think that's okay I knew about that um, and I can afford to do that but sometimes it comes as a bit of a surprise and it shouldn't um, because they they are in there and it's worth really thinking about your future plans because it was not worth fixing for five years if actually you think you want to reassess your situation in two or three then perhaps you would fix for a smaller amount of time so that you don't have the early repayment charges to think about as well and they can be quite hefty can't they they're not just kind of a 500 pound admin fee or whatever no they range between lenders um many lenders kind of um as the years go on that gets less and less but there are lenders that say you know something like five percent of the loan for five years and you're you're talking that's thousands of pounds Mm. And so then, but you can overpay by a bit each year, can't you, with most mortgages? So um, how does that work? I get really geeky about overpayments, actually, Mm -hmm. because they can be quite exciting. (laughs) You are generally allowed to um, overpay by 10% of the remaining balance um, of your loan. And if you work that out, that's actually quite a lot, usually a year before you're even charged any um, early repayment charges. So Making overpayments, even slight overpayments, so for example, £100 a month, if you knew you could put that away on your mortgage extra each month, you can make a huge impact on the term, reducing the term, which reduces the interest overall. So it's actually, you can get quite excited about overpayments if you want to, (laughs) because you're really taking control of paying off your mortgage quicker um, and saving yourself money in the long run. And it's quite a good option, I guess, for people who maybe want to have a comfortable monthly mortgage amount just in case they were to, you know, interest rates were to shoot up or they were to see their income drop. But it means if they've picked that option, they could then also choose to overpay by a bit extra each month while they can afford to. Yeah, it can be a really good decision, like you say, to have a baseline, which is the mortgage repayment that you are contracted to make and then knowing that actually you know it looks like I will have surplus and I will put that on the mortgage but you don't feel you have to each month because you might be paying for a holiday or something lovely like that 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 you know over over a quarter and then you come back to your overpayments after that so it's a good way of of working your money to to suit you and then if we think about getting the actual mortgage itself like a lot of financial things you can pick two routes basically you can choose the DIY route where you search around and you find the mortgage yourself and apply for it or you can pay an expert to do that for you so a mortgage broker like yourself um, who hunts around and kind of takes on some of the task for you now obviously I know you're probably going to be a fan of using mortgage brokers but if you can be as impartial as possible and explain the pros and cons of going down either route Okay, I will try. Um, (laughs) I would say that you're using a broker. It's the same as using any expert in the field that they're working in. They are going to know some 
more background information and have um, a greater understanding of the of the market, the current market, and therefore have more efficiency with that. So, for example, a broker can really look into the criteria of each lender, which varies hugely. And so something as simple as uh, overtime, a different lender's um, deal with that differently and a broker will know that information and have access to a, a range of lenders so can kind of can work that all out with the market knowledge um, also understanding that your decision in principle that we talked about before really does mean something because they've been able to cross check all that criteria so it's a way of knowing that you've got that expert um, a, you know in the background looking across the market and understanding the full details of that going direct um there are direct deals that um actually your bank um offer you and don't offer brokers um some and there's also on the other hand deals that are offered to brokers and not direct um and going direct you can um search around yourself and do that in your own time obviously there is usually a broker fee so you'll be doing it for free and i guess that's one of the main um selling points to that but i've got to be honest i think going through a broker just means you're going to get a lot more um insight in and an efficiency i thought you might say that (laughs) (laughs) but in fairness i've always used a broker because even though i talk about money all day long mortgages constantly baffle me so i think it's easier the market changes so much that um, until you're in it, you don't maybe realise quite how much. And, you know, it's the same as if you were using a web designer. You can design your own websites. You can use a web designer. Um, you know, I'm sure for basic needs, they'd both work. But there's certain times in many industries where an expert is needed or is just going to offer that 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 edge to to what you're what you're after. Thank you so much for explaining all of those terms. I think that's going to be so useful for first-time buyers or even people coming to remortgage that were have spent a long time since they last remortgaged and have forgotten all of this useful information. So thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you very much for asking. Gemma Bennett from Mortgage Mum and what she said about the benefits of using a broker. I did it the first time when I first got a mortgage for exactly the reasons you know that you would assume is because it is so complicated and you've never done it before and you just need a bit of help but since then because I've been remortgaging I have just done it myself um, because it's been fairly straightforward but I think if I moved it, it would be different because brokers can really help you smooth out the edges and If you're maybe in a slightly unique position, maybe you're not in full-time employment, you're self-employed, you're on a zero-hours contract, um, then getting a mortgage can be slightly more complicated. And in that case, they've got so much knowledge right at the tips of their fingers. And I think Gemma made a really good point there about the fact that mortgage brokers know the criteria from different lenders so well. And so I found that when I was buying my first property, we'd lived abroad, which some mortgage providers don't like. So we used a broker and they were able to find this very small mortgage provider um, who was happy to give us a mortgage, which is something that I wouldn't necessarily have known about um, beforehand if I'd done it myself. And the, the mortgage landscape is changing as well. Just this morning, we're recording this uh, on Tuesday, the 16th of August. There were headlines about some specialist brokers offering 50-year term mortgages. So that could really change the whole game. So do just make sure that if you're unsure, you do get advice. You know, a broker can be really helpful. 
So that's everything for this episode of Money Matters. If you haven't checked out our previous episodes, then please do. We cover all manner of money topics to help you make the most of what you've got. Our next episode is going to be discussing the rather topical issue of the menopause. Lots of workplaces at the moment putting in new measures to help women stay in employment because dealing with the menopause can it can really undermine your confidence. Uh, maybe you might think about reducing your hours or changing jobs. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, it really does mess with you. And until then, do check out our articles hub on the Money Matters homepage. Just search for AJ Bell Money Matters. There's loads of different articles on there with more kind of in-depth deep dives into different topics. Everything from that house buying process and how to save for it, but also lots of different topics to do with parenting, child benefit and all manner of different items. We also love to get your feedback. So do post where you listen to your pod or get in touch via social media at AJ Bell Money Matters on Instagram. Or you can email us moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk. And if you want to find out any more information about our guests today or follow them on social media, you can do that. Gemma is on Instagram at Mortgage Mum. And Emma is also on Instagram at Emma underscore Knight Frank. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.